And then there's another group, a little smaller group, but still a big group of people that you know well enough to wave to, have a little chat with. But how many people, it's probably a small number, that you know really well? Probably because it takes a lot of time and attention to know somebody really well. Okay? How well do you know God? Do you, are you here today thinking, well, I just sort of know of God? Do you know God sort of well enough to, to chat, wave a little bit, <laughs> check in with him from time to time? Or would you say sitting here today, you know God really well because you've invested time and attention to that relationship with your Lord. What's wonderful about our passage this morning, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian church and to you and me, and while he was writing it, he was praying that you and I would see and know the Lord better than we ever have before. So let's make that our prayer before we go any further. Father, we just come before you and in a in a gorgeous group of this size, Lord, I have no idea what what the lives are like from with these wonderful people, what they left at home or what they're going home to. But I just pray, Father, you would bless everyone here, bless them by being able to see you more clearly than we have ever seen you before. Just as Paul prayed, I, Father, your your every bit is alive now as you were then, and I just pray for each one of us we would carry away a truth that changes our life today. We ask this in the name that is above every name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. Get set up. Chapter 1, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. If you were here last week, you got to see Pastor Mark do what he does every week. He just brings it. He's in the back. I like it better when you're in the front, but... It's, uh, you're just such a gift to us, Mark. I just love how much you love the Word of God, and I love how much you love us. Do you remember the first 14 verses Pastor Mark covered for us last, last week, showing us the riches we have in, in Christ and the challenge to live our lives every day in praise of those riches? Do you remember the story he told about the richest woman in America back in history? She was the richest woman that was alive then, but she lived as if she didn't have two nickels to rub together. She didn't even turn on her heat in the house or have hot water. And when Mark was telling me the story, I was thinking, oh, well, wait a minute, no, this woman is frugal. She's, she's, she's being careful with her money. No, she's not. She was pathetic. She was foolish. She was so stingy that when her son got injured, remember that? He lost his leg because she didn't want to pay for medical attention. She went looking for a free clinic, and she had $100 million in the bank. I also couldn't help but think, as Mark told the story, if someone wanted to give me $100 million, I'd be willing to live like a wealthy person. And of course, isn't that the point of Mark's story? To show us that you and I have a hundred million times more than that woman because our riches come from God. Our currency is eternal. Let's live like it. Let's live like wealthy people. Just like that stingy woman, though, we too can be foolish. And we can go through life as if God's riches are for other people, but not for us. Is that... 
describe maybe how you think sometimes? Do you think that the lavish blessings of God are for someone else but not for you? Our passage today is telling you and me that any one of us can experience all the riches of God. But we have to make a choice. We have to choose to stop living like paupers and start living like heirs to God's kingdom. In other words, we have to stop looking at our lives like unbelievers do and start looking at our lives like sons and daughters of God. Well, how do we do that? We need to open our eyes, but not the eyes in our head. We'll talk more about that shortly. But first, I want to put the outline up early because there's a lot to write down and I want to give you a lot of time to write all this down. This is our outline. I worked hard on that. We'll read this together and you tell me if that's not a really good outline. Remember, the Word of God is inspired. The outline's not so much. Starting with verse 15. For this reason... I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Lord, for the richness of your word. We saw last week that God is overjoyed to call us to himself, and he is overjoyed when we come to him in faith and love. Well, verse 15, Paul's raising his hand too, and he's Paul saying, yes, I'm overjoyed too. I'm, he was overjoyed for the faith and the love of the dear Ephesian Christians. Can you hear Paul's smile in the words we just read? Let's read just the first part of the outline, the you portion. Let me read it to you again, verses 15 to 18. This time, try to picture Paul at his desk writing this with a grin on his face. It changes what the words mean. Picture Paul smiling as he writes, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I would like to raise my hand too. Just to thank you for your obvious faith in the Lord Jesus and your obvious, genuine love for each other and for me. It is so powerful. Faith and love. 
do not earn our salvation. Faith and love are the evidence of our salvation. Joni and I, my wife and I, were at Fashion Island Mall a couple weekends ago. I don't know if people go down there. It was a pretty day. And uh, I went into the Nordstrom. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I've been into that Nordstrom. My first impression of that store is they only sell two things. It looked like to me that half the store was shoes and the other half was makeup. And it made me think about how much time and money we all tend to spend on trying to make ourselves look as good as we can. Some of us have more to work with than some of the rest of us. But it made me think, do we care how we look to God? Do we care how we look to God? Our Lord is blessed when he sees our faith growing in his Son and he sees our love for each other. Look at verse 15 again. Paul writes, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith, in the Lord, your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Isn't it interesting that Paul is not praising them for their love of their perfect Lord? He's praising them for their love of their not-so-perfect fellow believers. The real evidence of God's work in us is not just that we love Him. It's that we love all believers. Flaws and all. Well, okay. Which believers are we supposed to love? The ones that go to our church? The ones that think like us? Look at verse 15. It says, for your love for all the saints. Yikes. All means every believer. Everywhere. Even the ones, or especially the ones that are really different from us. You know, the Lord did not design his church to be a, a club for clones. You know, somebody shouldn't visit this church or any church and walk in and very soon be able to go, oh, I get it. This is a church for this sort of group of people. I, I see that. No, a, a, a visitor should walk in and see so many different kinds of people. They should wonder, how are all these different people loving each other so much? What's going on here? i got to find out. Do you ever travel and visit other churches? It's fun, isn't it? It's fun. When you get away from home, you realize how big God really is. Because, you know, his, his church is filled and thriving with all kinds of different people that don't live in Orange County. If Paul's words aren't clear enough to us, and of course they are, about love, let's read together what the Apostle John and then Jesus himself said. These will be on the screen for you. Let's look at 1 John 4, 19-21. We love because he, Jesus, first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but and then hates, which means cannot or will not love his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Let's read about that commandment. This is from Jesus in John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus said, a new commandment. It's a new commandment, not a suggestion, not an encouragement. A new command I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. 
we are commanded to love all of God's family. And our measuring stick for how well we love is Jesus himself. God wants us, God commands us to love fellow believers as much as Jesus loves them and as much as Jesus loves us. You know, um, I think it's tempting for churches today to want to be known for their ministries or their music or their technology or their style of worship. But God wants his church known for their faith in his son and their love to all the saints. Ministries and music and tech and style are fine. They're great. But they can never be our focus. They can never be our top priority. Jesus and each other have to be our highest priority. And then our ministries, our music, our style, our, all that other stuff will just simply be how we express our faith and our love as the Holy Spirit leads us. In verse 16, you see that Paul can't stop giving thanks to the people at Ephesus. So here's the question. Who can't stop giving thanks for you today? Who is praising God for you today? You know what? You probably can't answer that question. You probably don't know. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, and you allow his love just to flow through you to other people, you're going to bless so many people without even realizing it. So let me ask you an easier question. Who are you thankful for today? Who are you praising God for today? I'm seeing a lot more heads nodding, because right now you're already picturing someone as a group of people, as several people. Whoever you're thinking of, you know what you can do to show your gratitude in the most awesome way possible? You can do what Paul did. You can pray for them. It's a little like when we go to some fast food restaurants and we get to supersize our meal. You know, you get to buy an extra big box of, of french fries or, or you get to buy a, a super big drink that won't even fit your cup holder in your car. I see some of these big drinks, they look more like motel ice buckets. You know, they're carrying around. Well, Paul is offering us a way to supersize our grateful thoughts by turning our little thoughts into great big prayers. What kind of prayers? What should we pray? Let's look, verse 16 and 17. While making mention of you in my prayers, here's the prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What a fantastic way to pray to someone you are grateful for. We can pray, Lord, thank you for, and just picture that person. Please reveal something wonderful about yourself for that person today. Wouldn't you love someone to pray that for you? I've got good news for you. Someone has been praying that for you. I have been praying that for you ever since I started studying this passage. I do not know all of your names, but I tried to. But I was picturing your faces, and I was just asking you, the Lord, please, for everyone that comes and looks into this passage of Scripture, I would just pray that God would reveal something wonderful to you today that will change you in some amazing way. And throughout the week, the last couple of weeks, I've been trying. That It's really fun. You should do it. I've been trying to turn every time I think of somebody that I'm really grateful for, trying to stop and then pray for them, too. Just pray this prayer. Lord, bless Doug and Kathy. Bless them. I just 
Show them something about yourself that they haven't seen before. What a way to go through life. Life changing. Did you notice in verse 17 that it is God who gives us wisdom and revelation? This is wonderful news. We should be so excited when God tells us something that we can understand. That should make us so happy, but never puffed up with pride, because it comes from God, not from ourselves. All things of God come from God. Paul prayed for God to give his readers, that includes you and I, we're reading, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This was not a prayer to grant some kind of special revelation, some invisible ink, secret handshake kind of only spiritual elite kind of people can know. No, he wasn't praying that. Paul simply wanted the Ephesians. Paul simply wanted you and me to grow in our knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of the Lord as he is already revealed in his word. The highest thoughts, the highest thoughts you and I can have are the thoughts that allow us to see the Lord more clearly. The highest thoughts you and I can have are the thoughts that allow us to see God more clearly and correct any false ideas we may have about it. The great news? Want some good news? I've got great news. The great news for you and me? Every day we can learn more about God than we knew before. And everything we learn, absolutely everything we learn, can be put into immediate use in our lives in our hearts, in our circumstances, in our lifetime, and ultimately into eternal life. That's great news. The wisdom that we receive from God is when we prayerfully and carefully read his word. The pages of our Bibles, each page loaded, dripping, packed with the wisdom of heaven. Let's be honest. I'll be honest with you and you can... Tell me if you identify with this or not. We all carry around some wrong thinking in our heads. That's why we need to fill our heads with the Word of God to push that nonsense out of there. We need the Word. Life is so wonderful. What a gift life is. Life is wonderful. But sometimes life can be really hard. Closing our Bible is closing our Bible. It's the same thing to closing our eyes to the power, the wisdom, and the knowledge that we need to get through our day. We need God's perspective so we don't lose our way. We need to know. We need to know about God's grace so we don't lose heart. We need to see God's purpose for our life so we don't stress and we don't worry. And we need to know God's promises as he's written them for us so we know how to receive his unstoppable power in our lives. God's perspective, God's grace, God's loving purpose, God's power is readily available to every single one of us all the time. But do we see it? God himself is right in front of us, right beside us, and right behind us every step, every second of every day. Do we see him? Look at verse 18. Paul prays for us to open our eyes, but not the eyes in our head. Verse 18. Oh my goodness. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Did you know you have two sets of eyes? The eyes in our head work well in the physical world. 
But we need 20-20 heart vision if we're going to see the invisible things of God. We just do. The word heart in Scripture means our center. It's our core. It's where our thoughts and our actions are born. But just like Pastor Mark taught us last week, God gives us all the riches of heaven. But if we can't see our inheritance, then we live spiritually impoverished lives. We live in a dark world. We do. We live in a dark world. We need our hearts enlightened. We live in a world of confusion. We need our hearts enlightened. We live in a world of fear. We need our hearts enlightened. We live in a world that's blind. We need our hearts enlightened. God, God performs amazing miracles every day in the heart of those that are His. Have you ever experienced a miracle, a miraculous change of heart? No, great. I'll give you some examples. Like, have you ever prayed for God to change someone only to see God change you instead? Isn't that great? Have you ever, have you ever prayed for healing only to discover that the greater miracle was God gave you courage and peace not only to endure but to praise Him in the illness? The eyes of our heart are so important because we have all these lies, all this chaos, all this evil swirling around us. We need to see Jesus as clearly as we possibly can. Incredible peace. Unexpected power. Amazing hope. Heavenly wisdom and other riches of God are lavished upon us when we see the Lord more clearly than we see our circumstances. I want to say that again because I need to hear it. Incredible peace, unexpected power, amazing hope, heavenly wisdom, and all the riches of God are ours when we can see Jesus more clearly than we can see our circumstances. Whatever you're worried about today, or angry about, or stressed about, is the very thing that is causing you to trust the eyes in your head more than the eyes in your heart. We who have trusted in Jesus are heirs to the kingdom of God. Let's live like it. Let's live like it. How do we live like heirs of the kingdom? How do heirs of the kingdom live? The eyes of their heart are wide open. So they can see, so they can know the hope of his calling. And they can know, they can experience the riches of his inheritance. What does it mean to know the hope of his calling? It means a a bunch of things. I'll just hit a few of them. It means you and I have learned to wholeheartedly trust God's plan for our life. God's plan, it is not a painless plan. But it is a perfect plan. Nothing, nothing happens to the believer by chance or bad juju. God has a specific purpose for your life. He knows exactly what He's doing for you, with you, and through you every second of every day. He knows. He knows. If we can't see God at work in our circumstances, it means we're looking with the wrong pair of eyes. We need to open the eyes of our heart. The hope of His calling also means we're called to something. What are we called to? 
We are called to a life where we experience, where we know the joy and power of the Lord, regardless of our circumstances. The hope of his calling also speaks to the future that you and I have in Christ. What kind of future do we have in Christ? Not much. All we can look forward to is everlasting life, perfect bodies, free from sin and death, and God glorifying us and raising us higher than the angels in heaven. That's all. If that doesn't interest you, then Jesus has nothing for you. Of course, the world is full of all kinds of things to distract us, isn't it? And cause us to chase after temporary things rather than chasing, pursuing the everlasting things. God. This is a really bad trade for us. It's like the con man that comes up to you and says, hey, I'll give you three fives for a 20. Wait a minute. We're not going to fall for that. But how often do we fall for things that won't last instead of seeking the things of God that will never fail? You know, when we look at our circumstances only through the eyes in our head, you know what happens? We can make foolish decisions. And we also can get really frustrated when things don't go exactly as we hope. I don't know if you're like this, but if I'm trying to do something, I want to get from point A to point B in the shortest, straightest line possible. But sometimes God gives us a zigzag line. And if we're only looking through the eyes of our head, we can't understand why. So it can be very upsetting, very discouraging. But when we open the eyes of our heart, you know what we see about that zigzag route? It is God steering us around the traps we need to avoid. With heart vision, we can walk on his path at any speed, anywhere he wants to take us, and we can do so with joy and confidence. This is what Paul prayed for, for the beloved Ephesians. And this is what Paul prayed for for you and I, that we would walk through life with the eyes of our heart wide open. We would see, we would experience, we would know the riches of God because we can see them. We can see him, not just when we get to heaven, but today and all of our tomorrows. Okay, that's the you section of this. Let's go to the God section. It just keeps getting better. Let's look at verses 19 to 23. I'm going to start with 18 and read into it. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow, that's a lot there. (laughs) There's a lot there. What did Paul mean when he prayed for his readers to know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? What's that mean? You know what that means? That's wonderful. Paul is praying for us to personally experience, personally experience God's matchless power in our lives. It's for you. God's power is for you. How can we receive this power? Who can receive this power? Any and all of us who believe in Jesus. All the hope of God, all the riches of God, and all the power of God are available to every single believer. So here's the key question of the day. 
Are you a believer? Big question. Got to kind of start there. Are you a believer? Have you surrendered to Jesus and asked him to be your Lord and your Savior? All the riches of heaven that we're talking about, all the power comes through one outlet. Jesus. Are you plugged into that one outlet? If you're plugged into something else other than Jesus, it's like taking an electric cord and plugging it into a dead outlet. There's nothing there for us. Remember, the Ephesians were faithful and they were loving, but Paul kept praying for them because he wanted them to continue to grow in their faith and their love so they would continue to experience the greatness of God in their lives. But Paul knew, Paul knew what would stop his beloved Ephesians and what would stop us in our tracks. Sin is a kill switch. Sin can interrupt the flow of God's power in our lives. Ages ago, ages ago now, I used to mow the lawn for my father-in-law from time to time. And he had an electric lawnmower. And it ran on this really, really long electric cord. And every so often, while I was mowing the lawn, I managed to run over the cables. And suddenly all my mowing power came to an abrupt stop. He used to do it too. So when I'd bring him the severed cable, he'd, he'd help me fix it with a smile on his face. Actually, sometimes he'd be in the house and he'd hear the lawnmower shut off abruptly. And he knew what I'd done. And he was never angry. He, he just would come out of the house and help me. And he enjoyed helping me repair that break. Let me show you a photo of what I'm talking about. I think this. I think the electric cord with repair tape around it is the metaphor or symbol of the Christian life. You know, we're walking with the Lord in obedience. We're serving Him gladly. His power is fueling us. But then we run across some sin that cuts us off from His power, that relationship. What are we going to do? We have two choices. We just stand there with no power or we can go to our loving Father. We can tell Him what we've done. And of course, He already knows. That's why He came out to help us. All of us have splices in our heavenly power cords. It's okay. God knows everything we're going through. God absolutely knows the best way for you and me to handle whatever situation or whatever sin has caused us to come unplugged. We need to go to him in prayer and spend time in his word, learning and reminding ourselves of his amazing riches, his amazing promises to us. Like what? Well, we could spend all day on his promises. I, I have three. God promises that he will direct our steps and never lead us in the wrong direction. God promises that he will always answer our prayers as soon as it's best for us. And God promises that when we confess our sins, he is going to forgive our sins and restore us to that loving, power-surging relationship with him. The better we know God, the better we know God's word, the better we know God. The better we know God, the bigger God gets. The bigger God gets, the more our problems shrink. And the more his power just fills our lives. Do we want, do we want to experience God's riches and his power in our lives every day? 
You want that? If we do, we, we have to invest time in that relationship. We need to spend time in his word. We need to make him a priority in our lives. We need to make reading our Bibles, prayer, obeying his commands, being with other believers, a high top priority of our lives. But, but, we're so busy, aren't we? So many things to do. It's so easy to push our relationship with the Lord to the side sometimes. When other things look more important to us, we can push God to the side because He no longer looks like the most important thing to us. When other things become more important to us than our relationship with the Lord, we should not be surprised when we have power outages in our life. We just shouldn't. We come unplugged and we don't even realize it. You've got to plug back in. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you will know. You will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Do you see that Paul is not, Paul is not praying for God to give us his power? Why is that? Paul doesn't need to pray for God to give us his power. Paul is praying that we'll recognize the power God has already given us. We already have it. When did, we, when did God give us his power? The moment, the instant, we trusted in his son. What kind of power is it? Nuclear? Let's read. Verses 19 to 20. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought, brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The right hand is a place of friendship, a place of honor, a place of confidence and authority. The death of Christ, the death of Jesus, is the supreme demonstration of God's love. And the resurrection of Jesus is the supreme demonstration of God's power. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is able and available to raise us from whatever situation has us worried today. Whatever circumstance seems hopeless and whatever sin seems too strong to escape. In verse 19, Paul writes that the surpassing greatness of his power is in accordance, which means in full agreement with the working of the strength of his might. The strength of his might speaks about God's omnipotence. Omnipotence means God is all-powerful. God has unlimited, never-ending power. You know, we can run out of juice pretty quick <laughs> in our day, but we never have to worry about a power shortage of God, ever. His power has no limits, none whatsoever. So think about this with me. Every test, every test in life is an eye test. To see if we're looking at our problems through the eyes in our heads or the eyes in our heart. The eyes in our heads see lots of things to worry about. They just do. The eyes in our heart, they see Jesus on his throne where God raised him with absolute power over absolutely everything. Verse 21 says that God raised Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. All rule and authority and power and dominion are terms that the Jews use to designate angels, both angels and demons. And Jesus is far above them. 
Can you picture what this passage is saying about Jesus? Jesus was God, but he was also a man. Jesus was born as a real human baby. Jesus was a toddler. Jesus was once a teenager, then a young man, and then a full-grown man. Jesus worked with his hands. Jesus walked from place to place, just like other men. Jesus ate food. Jesus slept when he was tired. If you knew Jesus back then, you could describe what he looked like. You could describe what his voice sounded like. You could tell us what kind of accent Jesus had. And his demeanor, his style, his manner of speaking. This Jesus died on the cross and was buried in a tomb. And then, by God's mighty power, God raised Jesus to heaven and seated him at his right hand forever. That same resurrecting, that same transforming, that same miraculous power is available to you and to me always. Every second, that power is available to us. Jesus, who once wore a crown of thorns, now wears the crown of absolute authority over absolutely everything. And Jesus' hands that were once nailed to the cross now hold the scepter of God's never-ending kingdom. In Christ, with this Christ, we should go through life as the most humble and the most confident people on earth. Humble because we know we have no power in ourselves, but confident because he has all the power. And he's given it to us every second of every day. The resurrection of Jesus is not only proof of God's power, it's also God's pledge to you and me. God promises that his resurrection power will raise us up too, to heaven, when our rental agreement with our bodies is over. Let's finish with verse 22 and 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What has God exalted Christ over? Everything. You know what everything means? Everything means even those things that you're losing sleep over. Jesus is even over those things that you think or seem to think are too big for God to handle. Those no-win situations. There's no such thing as a no-win situation. There's a, for a believer, there's only an always-win situation. Always. Do you see Jesus on his throne there? Do you see this Jesus? Mark, why don't you come on up? I'll be ready to close here in a sec. God placed, did you see that God placed Jesus as the head or leader of the church? The church refers to all believers all over the world. We're all part of Christ's church and we're also called his body. I have good news for you. All the leaders at the Rock Community Church, they lead by following Jesus. Did you catch the sweet note here in verse 22 that God gave Christ leadership to the church? God gave us Jesus. God gave Jesus to us to fill this church, all churches, and fill all believers with himself, his presence, and his power. You know those prayers that you don't dare pray out loud? You know those needs you have that you don't think anybody else would possibly understand? You know those struggles and sin and life that Just keep dragging you down. Jesus knows it all. And Jesus has power over 
all of it. And Jesus can give you the power to overcome it because Jesus is Lord of all. So let me close with the question that this passage is asking you and me. And it's a personal question. I want to warn you up front. It's a personal question. Is the Jesus we're reading about in Ephesians 1, is this the Jesus that you know really well? If your answer is no, what are you going to do about it? Nothing? Or is it time to make Jesus the priority of your life? And if your answer is yes, you know this Jesus very well. Paul asks, are you living like it? Are you living like it? Let's close in prayer and then the prayer team will, the praise team will uh, close us and our prayer team will be available here if you'd like to pray with them after the service. Father.